good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. Let me welcome those who are watching online, joining us on Facebook Live. Let me also say this, whether you're in the auditorium, whether you're watching on Facebook Live, you can always take this and share it from our Facebook feed to yours. You can do that right now in these seats, and that way more people are exposed to the message today or at some point during the week if they happen to peruse your page and look and see what you're posting. Some of you need to be repenting for what you're posting, you know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding again. Uh, we're excited that you're here again. Most of you know that we've spent the last four weekends uh, talking about freedom. And it really kind of started as one message about freedom. And it kind of morphed into the, to the last four weeks. And we, we, started this, I, we started with this, I, with this idea that as followers of Jesus, uh, we have received a freedom that we should be living out. And it's not something that we're just living out, but it's honestly a freedom that we should share with other people that God has placed around us. And if you were here that very first week, here's kind of the thought that encapsulated where we've been going the last several weeks. We, we, we said it this way, the natural response to freedom is sharing the story of what God has done in our lives with the people that God has placed around us. So we've been taking that thought or that concept and kind of drilling down and talking and looking about what that looks like in the life of people who follow Jesus. But let's take a deep breath this morning. Because since last weekend, our attention, the attention of the world, and our lives have been diverted to focusing on that little strip of land in the Middle East called Israel. And I have to tell you that since last weekend, my thoughts, my mind, and my spirit has been focused on what I've been seeing and what I've been hearing. Let me preface that again with what I've told you before. When it relates to news, I don't really know who to believe or what to believe anymore. But Denzel Washington said it best when he said, if you watch the news, you're misinformed. And if you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. So you have to have a discerning spirit and try to figure some of the stuff out on your own. But in watching news or what limited news sources that I trust... My focus has been on what's happening, and it has forced me to go back to what prophecy I know, and it's forced me to go back to what the Bible says about things that would precede the return of Jesus. Because again, I would tell you this, I never thought much about it. And I'm never here to be a predictor, I'm never here to be a prognosticator, when it comes to biblical events. But so many of you, after last Sunday, have been blowing up my inbox with text messages and emails and DMs, direct messages, asking me questions about the things that you're seeing happen in the world right now. I mean, as I started the week this past Monday... I had questions thrown at me like this. What, what, what's going on? Is this World War III? Has World War III started? Where is America in Bible prophecy? Are we going to live through the tribulation? Are you post-mid or, 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 you know? I, I mean, I just had all kinds of questions asking me about what's happening in our world. And here's the thing I'm going to tell you this morning. Maybe it's time for Jesus to return. And maybe it's not. But there's one thing that's for sure. We need to know what the Bible says about the return of Jesus. So that in difficult times like we are experiencing right now, that we as a follower of Jesus can walk in freedom instead of being overtaken by fear. So if you want a Cliff Notes version of today, 
And what I'm going to say this morning, I will say that the second coming of Jesus, the end times, and the end time prophecies, and the last days, they are a reminder of three things. The first one is this. Heaven is our home. The second thing, historic human events give us a great opportunity to have gospel conversations. And the third and most important thing that you need to hear me say is that regardless of what it looks like, God is real and he is in control. It may not seem like it, but God is real and he is in control. So the events that we have seen unfold over the last week or so, it kind of begs us to ask a question this morning that I want to address because this was also in the list of questions that you guys sent me. And the question is really short, like five words. Is this the end? Or maybe some of you would say, are, are these the end times or are we living in the last days? And again, I'm going to tell you, that can be a really tough question to answer. Because when you look at the news and you look at all the things that we're seeing with Hamas and Iran and Israel and, and several other countries, there have been lots of different things said and there have been lots of different things that are happening. Not only do we see things happening, but there's lots of what I call saber rattling or, or challenging each other's about if you do this, we're going to do this. And if you respond this way, then we're going to respond this way. There's all of that kind of stuff that's happening. And again, when we look to that little country in the Middle East, that little land known as Israel, the home of God's chosen people, the Jewish people, it suddenly moves the subject of the end times or second coming right back to the front of people's minds. And when people start seeing things happen over there, people start to get worried. And when people start to get worried, naturally people start to ask questions. And knowing that people are asking questions, here is what I believe is our reality this morning. I believe that the Bible has a lot to say about end times. I believe that the Bible has a lot to say about the second coming or the return of Christ. And I think as followers of Jesus, it's time that we know what the Bible says, so that we, my friends, are not overcome by fear. And since I know that the Bible has a lot to say about the second coming of Christ, and since I know that the Bible has a lot to say about the end times, I want to be totally transparent with you today so that you understand I can't even begin this morning, to scratch the surface when it comes to this subject. So here's the question that I would like to start with this morning. Is this the end times? Are these the last days? Are you and I living in the last days? But really the question kind of behind the question is, are these the end times? There's that question behind the question. And knowing that's the question behind the question, I think there's a very clear answer that can be found to the question when you look at Scripture. Because the Bible talks about on this particular day, the Bible speaks to this specific day when the, when the Holy Spirit came to earth. And the Bible tells us that on that day, it was called the day of Pentecost. So let me give you some context. Jesus has risen from the tomb and gone back to heaven. The disciples are gathered in Jerusalem 
and the Holy Spirit comes. You have all these people from all these countries and all these nations gathered in Jerusalem. And the thing that was very interesting was even though these people all spoke different languages, they could all understand what was being said, even though they didn't speak the same language. So it made them naturally question what's happening, what's going on. And Peter, the apostle, gets up and he addresses the crowd. And when Peter addresses the crowd, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Here's what he says. Now look at the first four words. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. That's what Peter said when he addressed the crowd in Jerusalem that day. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter is addressing the crowd with the words that you see on the screen behind me, what he was actually doing, he was actually quoting the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel says, The day is coming. What day? The last days. And you will know that the last days are here. Because the Holy Spirit, who in the Old Testament would be found on certain individuals for certain moments, at certain times, But in the last days, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all of God's people. So when you see that, Peter says, you will know that the last days have arrived. That's what Peter says when he addresses everyone. So on the day of Pentecost, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're looking at right now. That's what Peter said. Because the Holy Spirit is now available to anyone who follows God through his son, Jesus Christ. So the last days, listen, you you need the context here. The last days, are we living in the last days? The last days began at Pentecost. We can know that. You're living in the last days. So the next question is naturally, if the last days happened 2,000 years ago, then how can we still be living in the last days? It's perspective. It's because God's perspective on time is different than your and my perspective on time. I mean, think about it. We're right in the middle of football season. Some people stayed home today because there's a football game on. Yesterday, people were glued to their televisions. Tennessee, Alabama, Vanderbilt. I mean, they were watching everything. And, and, and you know, countless times yesterday... Uh, a, a wife, a girlfriend, uh, uh, another friend would be in the kitchen preparing dinner, preparing lunch. How much more time is left in the game? Two minutes. Two minutes, 45 seconds. 45 minutes later. Am I right? The game is still going on. Why? Why? Because two minutes is not the same as 120 seconds on your watch. So part of what the Bible is telling us is that we need to understand God's perspective when it comes to time. We need to understand that God's perspective on time is actually different from our perspective on time. This is what we find in 2 Peter chapter 3. 
It says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, look at what it says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. That's perspective again. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, we view time from a finite perspective, but God does not. So what that means is this, from the day of Pentecost, even up until today, which is October 15th of 2023, we have been living in the last days. And what that means is that everything that needed to be done before the return of the Lord has taken place. All of redemptive history. God choosing Israel as this kind of model community so that the world could see what community actually looks like. Then the coming of Jesus. Then his teachings. Then his resurrection. Then the coming of the Holy Spirit. All that's been done. So what that means is that Jesus could return at any moment. So when is that, when is that going to happen exactly? That's what people want to know. When exactly is that going to happen? Well, in my experience in the church, and sometimes out of the church, there are two different responses to the question, when is he coming back? Because on one hand, you have this group of people who are obsessed with the end times. You have people who are obsessed with Bible prophecy. And some people are absolutely certain that they can crack the code and they can tell you the answer to the question, when is Jesus coming back? They have diagrams. They have timelines. They have illustrations that they think explains what they know the answer to the question, when is Jesus coming back, to be. Now, let me just tell you, for those that may not know, I used to work with a guy for a guy, they're still personal friends of mine, a guy by the name of John Hagee. Amazing prophecy, Bible, and end-time teacher. I have never heard him in our private conversations or in a teaching conversation and teaching environment, I've never heard him even lean to predicting when he thought that was going to happen. Never. And I've been to Israel with him four different times. But on the flip side of that, there are lots of people who put together diagrams and, and charts and all of the information that they think gives us the answer to the question so that we will know when Jesus is going to return. And again, many people, you have to understand, I used to work for a guy who was deep in this. And I was obsessed with this. But on the other side of the coin, I have seen people who would speculate on what they thought was going to happen. And here is the thing that happens. Speculation always runs the risk of getting us diverted from the actual heart of Jesus' teachings. When we speculate, we actually move away from the teaching of Jesus because of all this speculation. See, you may have a good heart that desires to see the return of Jesus. I think we all do right now. But the thing that happens is this. A lot of stuff gets written, and a lot of what is written is not good. And the reason it's not good is because people are speculating on what they believe is going to happen. Now, I know I have referenced this at least twice. I tried to look through my notes. But I know I've talked about it twice, so I'm going to talk, through it, talk about it the third time. There was a, a book that was written in the 1980s, a book on prophecy. 
And this book took the world by storm. And it was written because a lot of people believe that in the 80s, I know some of you weren't even alive, but, you know, let me, let me just, just roll with me. A lot of people believed in the 80s, and if you, if you heard this or if you believe this, I, I want you to kind of affirm it by, yeah, yeah, you can say yes. Pretend like you're Pentecostal, okay? Anyway, so uh, in the 1980s, people believed that Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. Anybody? I mean, and, and again, that's what, that's what I mean, I, I voted for the man. I ain't afraid to say it. I voted for him. First, first person I voted for, president. And, and, and again, looking back, it looks like I've made a pretty good choice. You know what I'm saying? But, but, but anyway, uh, uh, I, I, I'm telling you, uh, uh, I mean, I voted for the Antichrist. You know what I'm saying? There you go. And I'm a preacher. Look here. It goes to show you how things work out. But, but anyway, it's a joke, okay? So anyway, uh, the reason people believed he was the Antichrist was simple. His name was Ronald Wilson Reagan. Six letters, six letters, six letters. Six, 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 the mark of the beast. So somebody writes a book. 88 reasons why the rapture will happen in 1988. In other words, 88 reasons why Jesus was going to return in 1988. And the author of that book said, we can't know the day, we can't know the hour, but we can know the year. We can know the month, and we can know the year. So it was supposed to happen in 1988. But it didn't happen like they said. But they did sell a bunch of books. Then the next year rolls around, 1989, and that same author wrote another book, Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1989. And here's what's interesting. For several years, these books about the return of Jesus, they, they just kept coming. And these other authors, these other people reasoned that maybe you can't know the month or the year, but you can know the generation in which it's going to happen. And the generation that it was going to happen, it always happened to be the generation in which the person was writing about the return of Jesus. One quite popular Christian author even wrote how he was just overwhelmed by earthquakes and fires and distressing poverty and political problems and private bankruptcy and widespread immorality, which was abounding in the last days. And those things obviously indicated that the Lord, the return of the Lord Jesus was imminent. It was going to happen just any day. Those were words that were written by William Miller in 1843. And he tragically disappointed thousands of Christians who followed him. And because it didn't happen as he predicted, the people that followed him were disillusioned. See, here's the thing. We have all these people writing all of this stuff. And some people do obsess over it. But what happens? One generation comes and one generation goes. And my concern is what happens to the credibility of the gospel. I mean, think about it. What happens to the credibility of the gospel when seekers and, and people who don't know God they hear all this stuff, and they read all this stuff, and they hear us talking about all this stuff, and they just want to understand, what is it with the church? What's the deal with end times when it comes to the church? I mean, how do you respond? What am I supposed to say? Because we look so silly when we predict this stuff. And time and time again, after some of us have predicted that it's going to happen, nothing ever happens. That's why I think it's helpful to always go back to the words of Jesus. Because if there's anything that Jesus was clear on, it's this very subject. Look at what he says in Acts chapter 1. He says, right before he ascends to heaven in the book of Acts. It says, so when they met together, they asked him, 
Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know. Look at what he says. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the day, the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power. Here here we go. Last days. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Mark 13, here's what he says. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. So when is Jesus coming back? We do not know. But there's one thing that we do know. Because he said it. I will come again. I don't know when. But he said, I will come again. You know what he didn't say? Therefore, speculate. He didn't say, therefore, speculate. He didn't say, therefore, speculate about when it's going to happen. He didn't say, try to figure out what it's going to happen. He didn't say for you and I or anybody who writes to try to read the signs and circumstances in your day like reading tea leaves. He didn't say that. What did he say? He said, it's not for you to know. He said, it will be like a thief in the night. He said, be yielded to my spirit. He said, be my witnesses. He said, be about my work. So this morning, I want you to understand, that's what we need to do. We do not need need to be followers of Jesus. We do not need to be a church who engages in foolish and unbiblical speculation. That is not who we need to be. We need to be a church that watches. We need to be a church that prays. We need to be a church and followers of Jesus. Let me tell you, listen to me again. I want you to hear me because, again, I'm going to be accountable for everything that I have said. It's time to get your life in order. Watch and pray. Be about the work of the gospel. Pray up, look up, pack up, because one day we're going up. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be in a thousand years. But in the meantime, we will be immovable. We will be steadfast in God's works. So that when he comes, and he will come, and it will be like a thief in the night. Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow. And again, maybe in a thousand years. But we want to live our lives in such a way That when he comes, that we can say as best we can that we were about your work. We were doing what you wanted us to do. So the people that obsess over this end time, the return of the Lord, let me tell you, I'm just going to tell you, when you obsess over it, I don't think it's really being helpful. But on the other hand, There's a lot of people that I talk to, including a lot of you, a lot of people in the church. They don't obsess about it. You know what they do? They go into avoidance mode. See, I've talked to a lot of people who are followers of Jesus who will tell me, Randy, I've never taken a look at the book of Revelation. I've never read it. I picked it up. I started to read it, and I put it back down. Can I just say this? It's the book of Revelation, not Revelations. It's not Kroger's. It's not Walmart's. It's Revelation. 
They say, you know what, I've never picked up the book of Revelation because, Randy, I, I started to, to look at it and, it and it was just kind of scary. I mean, have you ever tried to read through the book of Revelation? A lot of people are just like, my, my, their response to my question is, man, I just can't get through it. I can't understand any of it. There are these bizarre images and, and strange creatures. I mean, again, it's honestly, it's, 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 I mean, I can be a little bit more, you know, fun with y'all than I can the 830 crowd. But, but I mean, I, I, again, if you've ever read through it, there, there's beasts and blood and bowls of sulfur. There's bottomless pits. There's people eating scrolls, dragons. There's the great whore of Babylon. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. There's war, pestilence, famine, and death. It's like watching the Real Housewives of Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's what it's like. It's like an episode of the Game of Thrones. It's like watching Harry Potter. So a lot of people will tell you, I picked it up, I started, and I just couldn't do it. So a lot of people have never read through the book of Revelation. So this morning, I'm going to tell you with all that we have going on in our world right now, I want to encourage you, pick up the book of Revelation this afternoon. And one of the reasons why I tell you that I think you should read the book of Revelation is because it's a good thing to do. Here's my first reason. I think you should read the book of Revelation because it's in the Bible. That's why you should read it. It's in the Bible. If it makes you feel good, take the book of Revelations and go to Walmart's and put it in your cart and read it. You know what I'm saying? Whatever it takes to get it read. But pick up the book of Revelation and read it. And the reason you should read it is because it's in the Bible. I mean, take a, take, take a minute and think about this. One day, you're going to be in heaven. One day, that we're going to be right here. Boom. And you're going to be there. Zippoed out of here. And you're going to be walking down those streets of gold. And, and there's going to be a guy coming towards you. And it's John. It's the guy who actually wrote the book of Revelation. And you're walking on streets of gold. I mean, you got a new body, you're looking fine, and John is walking to you, and he's going to know who you are, and you're going to know who he is, and you know what he's going to say? Hey, how did you like my book? I, I never read it. John, I, ne I, ne I never read your book. I never got around to it. And you know what? It's going to be awkward for you who were and are and is and all those things, a follower of Jesus Christ, you made it to heaven, and now you're confronted with the guy who both wrote the book of Revelation, and you haven't read it? It's awkward. So read the book of Revelation because it's in the Bible. See, again, one of the marks of a growing follower of Jesus, one of the marks of a growing church, is that we study the whole counsel of God. Not just the passages that we like. Not just the passages that make us feel good that we treat as our own special pet passages. Studying the whole counsel of God is the reason that the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He said, all Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the very first reason why I think you need to read the book of Revelation is because it's actually in the Bible. The second reason why I think you need to read the book of Revelation is because reading the book of Revelation carries with it a promise. And the promise is a promise of blessing. Now think about this. The book of Revelation is the only book in the New Testament that carries the promise of blessing. Look at Revelation 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. 
and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Why should you read Revelation? Because there's a blessing attached to this. There's a blessing to know the hope that we live for. See, maybe the most important thing that I could tell you this morning about the end times is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, the end times are not the end times. They're the beginning times. The end times are not the end times. They're the beginning. The return of Jesus is the only thing in the entire world that is really worth you and I hoping for. If you follow him. Because see, in the New Testament, there are some 300 references to the return of Jesus or the day of the Lord. And it's those 300 references that keep people going in the toughest of times. Because this will be the time that he's going to come. And when he does, he's going to set everything right. And let me just tell you how important this is. Because if you don't understand this, if you don't understand the importance of the return of Christ, listen, then you will never hope for it. And if you don't hope for the return of Christ, you know what you're going to do? You're going to make the mistake of pinning your hopes on something else. So what the Bible does is the Bible uses these wonderful, beautiful images to talk to us about what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. And maybe the most amazing image that the Bible uses is the image of a groom and a bride. John writes in Revelation 19, verse 7. He says, let us rejoice and be glad. It's not bad news. A lot of people look at the end times and they say, oh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be dark. It's going to be awful. It's not bad. It's not dark. Look at the entire verse. Look at Revelation 19, verse 7. He says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. See, maybe you don't think that the second coming of Jesus is something that you long for. And if you don't think that the second coming of Jesus is something that you long for, let me, let me, let me help you understand this. By telling you a little story. I have a friend who doesn't live in this town. Who has a young son. And he told me. He, he told me this several years ago. He said. My, my, my son told me. He said dad. He said when I grow up. I, I don't want to move out. I just want to live here with you and mommy. My friend said Randy. It was useless trying to convince him. At such a young age that the day might come when he actually might want to leave this house. Not that the home would necessarily be a bad thing, but something inside of him would change and he would grow up and he would kind of want to go off and be on his own. Like maybe he would fall in love and he would just want to start his own family. He said, Randy, but there's no use in me trying to tell him when he was so young. Because he could not believe at his young age that there would ever be a woman that would be so much fun and so smart and so entertaining that he would want to leave the house and the love of his daddy. And I know that may sound far-fetched to some of you. But every parent knows that someday... Maybe not today, and maybe not tomorrow, but someday, 
the day will come when those little children that God gave us, they'll grow up. And let me tell you, when they grow up, they will understand. And you know, sometimes when they grow up, that involves a wedding. And then what used to be this little boy or this little girl, they come to their mom or they come to their dad and they say, I met him or I met her. She's my destiny. He's my destiny. I love him. I love her. I've got to be with them. I can't imagine living my life without them. It's going to happen. See, the thing I'm trying to tell you is to help you understand that you were made for eternity. And maybe you don't think that you long for Jesus to return. But the Bible says that the story of history is the story of a groom that awaits his bride. And it's no accident that this is the desire that God paints that he has for us. He's the groom and we're the bride. And the longings we should have for him are the longings of a bride and a groom. Because no other connection reaches as deeply as the oneness that exists between a groom and a bride. I mean, think about it. No other passion is so intense. People don't jump off bridges because their cousin died. Their friend makes another friend. They don't shoot both of them. It's, it's spousal love. It, it just evokes instinctive, irrational, and intensive love. Which tells us eternity with God is going to be amazing. But the sad thing is that most of you, when you think of eternity with Jesus... You think about a church potluck. You know what I'm talking about? I was raised in the Baptist church over at Emmanuel. People in the gym with styrofoam plates, <laughs> styrofoam cups, punch, milling around, feeling awkward like you don't know how to talk to people. That's what you think about when you think of eternity. But let me tell you this morning, you can't think of eternity that way. If you want to know what eternity in heaven is going to be like, you have to picture a Jewish wedding. Jeremiah 31. This goes against everything the Baptists think. Jeremiah 31 says there's going to be dancing. Isaiah 25 says there's going to be feasting. And Luke 22 tells us that Jesus is not going to pop the cork until we get there. And some of you right now, right now might not get that. But the day will come. And you're going to see this clearly. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow. But the day will come when you will be fully grown and you will see him. And then you will understand it. And so will I. And God himself, the one who we see only in a glimpse right now and from a distance, we will see him face to face and we will gasp at his pure goodness and we will gasp at his transcendent beauty. And that's when we will know this is why I was made. It's what I've been aching for. It's what I've been longing for. 
It's what I've been wanting and what I've been missing my whole life long. That's exactly what God has been wooing me for. And then you will know. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us this blessed hope. Help us to understand and to think about it rightly. Help us to not fall into the trap of pinning our hopes on stuff that's too small. Fixing ultimate hopes on what kind of job we have, what kind of retirement we have, what kind of car or house we have. But God, help us fix our hope. Our ultimate hope. On the only thing that's ultimately worth hoping for. Thank you, God, that one day we are going to see you face to face. And when we do, we will understand this is what I was made for. God, we love you. We thank you for a peace that passes understanding as we ask this prayer in Jesus' name.